Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's our goal to communicate some late breaking news and thoughtful insights about a broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So, whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear about the evolving trends in home energy ratings. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for nearly 30 years and have been interfacing with the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. After listening, if you like what you heard today and you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing ResTalk into the search bar of your favorite podcast app. If you're a consumer and want to learn more about the benefits of home energy rating, cruise on over to ResNet.us to learn more. In today's episode, we'll hear from Gayathri Vijayakumar, who works for Stephen Winter Associates. She'll be discussing the most effective ways to conduct an energy rating on a multifamily building. And that's through some standard development work that she and a cast of almost hundreds or thousands, well, really dozens, have worked on over the years. She'll discuss the efforts of this dedicated group of professionals who've moved the multifamily building energy ratings from merely guidelines to becoming a part of the existing HERS standards 301 and 380. You gain a clearer picture in this podcast of how standards are made and, most importantly, how they're updated through regular research and public comment from people like you, people that are listening to this podcast. If you want to learn more about the ResNet standards, you can go to resnet.us slash professional slash standards. So listen up as Gaia 3 takes us into the world of standards creation and standards maintenance, and we'll all learn a little something today. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Good. So we had a little bit of uh, hitches getting started here, but it's great that everything is now rolling together. We're going to talk today about the changes in some ResNet standards, two standards to be specific. And Guy3's main focus is in multifamily buildings, and that's where we'll be focusing our discussion. Why don't we start off by saying, what are the two standards we'll be talking about today? And sort of in quick reference, what do they cover? Basically, there's two ResNet standards that used to reside as chapters of the ResNet Mortgage Industry National Standards. There was an old Chapter 3 and Chapter 8. And ResNet, over the past few years, has moved the technical content out of that proprietary standard and developed them as ANSI standards, which are consensus-based standards, similar to like an ASHRAE or an IECC. So Chapter 3, if you remember from back in the day, that used to tell you how to calculate a HERS index. If you wanted to do it by hand, you would just follow all the steps in Chapter 3. So that became ANSI ResNet ICC 301. That was published back in 2014. And then a similar process happened with Chapter 8, which covers all the testing procedures, so blower door, duct bluster, ventilation tests. Those were developed into ANSI ResNet ICC 380, and that was published back in 2016. So both those standards have to be updated every couple of years, just like, again, ASHRAE and ICC get updated usually every three years. So they are, 301 was kind of overdue. It was published back in 2014. So it has a five-year update coming up. So that's next year, 2019. And to kind of keep them in sync, the 380 standard, even though it was just published in 2016, is going to be also updated with a 2019. So they kind of start getting in sync and they can start their three-year update cycle. So after 2019, there'll be another one in three years in 2022. The process of the standards updates, you mentioned consensus standard, and that includes people, users of the standard. So right now, those two standards, are they open for comment? 
that they're in the update process now? Both of them have gone through public comment over the course of this year. So they, I think 380, that has, I think, completed its public comment. I don't think we received any comments that are going to result in another round of public comments. So basically, we've gone about three rounds. And yes, people in the industry get notified that the public comment period is open. And we invite everyone to participate in that process, submit their feedback, submit changes if we've proposed something that they don't like. And so that public comment cycle has finished on 380. And so that's moving towards approval and publication in time for the 2019 publication date. 301 is just wrapping up its last public comment as well. Very good. And I've been involved in some standards committees over the years too. And there's a lot of thoughtful commentary, discussion, dialogue that goes in to the comments. The teams that work on these, and I'm sure including yourself and the teams you've worked on, the committee members really put a lot of effort into that and really try to understand and connect with the people that give the comments. Any particular comments you could talk about that sort of stick out, maybe more generically, not in specific? With respect to 301, this has been a very long process. So 301 Initially, when we set out to work on this with respect to multifamily, we were actually going to develop a whole separate standard, which was going to be an ANSI standard 305. And we weren't even going to change 301 for multifamily. We thought a separate standard by itself made sense. And as we started doing that back in 2016 and 2017, came to figure out that there was this parallel track with 301 happening and that it was due for an update. And a lot of the changes we were making, they were making. So the first thing was we had to kind of combine all the technical content that we had developed. And kind of, as you mentioned, it's committee-based. We had a ResNet multifamily subcommittee, which was based on a lot of volunteer members, folks in the industry, rating providers, software providers. It's not ResNet staff that develops the content for these standards. So we have a lot of participation from the people that are actually boots on the ground, working in the software, working in the field. And the folks that made up the subcommittee had multifamily experience. So when they created that contact, we merged it into what the committee was also working on for 301. And it went out to public comment. So there was a lot to comment on. The first round, I think we only got about 20 some comments, which is actually not that many. I think it was just a lot of information. Standard 301 is very technical. The audience is more the software developers. Most raters don't need to read standard 301 because it tells you how to calculate a HERS index, and I'm not doing that by hand. So it's really the audience is the software developers. And luckily, we have representation from all the software developers on the subcommittee in under the ResNet SEC 300 that actually really works on 301. So they're all involved. They, they know what we're writing. They know how to interpret it. They know how to implement it in their software. When I went out that first time, only about 20 comments. The second round, I think only had four comments. I think people just recognize that the major changes within that standard, whether they understand all the technical gory details that go into the software code, they like the fact that the scope was changing. The current ResNet standards limits the scope to dwelling units that are in buildings three stories and less. And this new scope in the 2019 version is going to expand that to any height building. So I think there was a lot of positive feedback surrounding that, which doesn't necessarily show up in a public comment. We have presented the changes on a webinar and at the ResNet conferences. So we got a lot of verbal feedback, but most people only submit public comments when they don't like something. So it's actually probably a good thing that we only got 20 comments, which means there wasn't a lot of negative feedback to deal with. Right. It's not the complaint station. It's (laughs) Exactly. So we did get some comments, which were good. There were some changes that we were making. 
I would say with respect to guarded tests and lower door tests, we did receive some feedback on that. We did make a change. There was never any specific requirement in the 301 standard that said you couldn't do a guarded test or a whole building blower door test and do some juggling of the numbers to say this is the blower door result for my apartment. So we made it very clear in the 2019 version that you couldn't do a guarded test and that you couldn't do a whole building test and then just prorate the results down to the dwelling unit. We also made it very clear that a energy rating had to be conducted on a dwelling unit or a sleeping unit it couldn't be done on the building. There was in previous years, people did try to do a, an energy rating on the entire building because the standard never said you really couldn't. So that became very clear in the 2019 version that went out for public comment. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into this industry. You seem to be very passionate about your engagement with the committees. You know so many details. Are you the committee chairman? I am. I'm not sure if I'm the chairman or the chairwoman. Oh, sorry about that. (laughs) I should say the chair. Yeah, this goes back to February 2013. My background is in mechanical engineering. I joined Stephen Winter Associates back in 2005, immediately became involved in a multifamily high-rise project that went on to become the first Energy Star certified multifamily high-rise in the country. Congratulations. Thank you. Because of that familiarity with that program as a pilot at that stage, our company sought out a technical consultant role with the EPA. And therefore, we've been their technical consultant for about 10 years supporting their multifamily program. So I am passionate about multifamily. It's basically what I've been doing here at Stephen Winter for the past 13 years. And with Energy Star, they recognized early that one day we were going to have to fix the ResNet standard and make it work better for multifamily. And so Ted Lepke, who was a program manager for the Energy Star Multifamily High Rise Program back in 2012, we decided to approach ResNet at their conference in Orlando and say, we're going to put together a working group of people that care about multifamily, and we're going to give you the guidelines for multifamily since you don't have them. We're going to create them for you. And ResNet was willing to allow us to do that. And we, over the course of a year, develop multifamily guidelines, not standards, just guidelines, things that workarounds we thought would make it easier for raters who were just constantly trying to fill in the gaps in the standards where they just didn't mention multifamily. And so ResNet published that back in 2014. And then for a couple years, we didn't really do too much. But back in 2016, they did ask me to chair a ResNet multifamily subcommittee, an official subcommittee, turn those guidelines into standards. And as I mentioned before, we decided not to go forward with a separate standard. There's just a lot of stuff that was still being copied and pasted from the 301 standard that didn't need to change in multifamily. I mean, a refrigerator is a refrigerator. So we were copying a lot of that text and it was going to be a pain to try and keep those in sync. After that, they did ask me to chair a larger subcommittee because we were running all these parallel tracks and conversations needed to happen between 380 and they have an enclosure subcommittee and all these things are intertwining. They gave me the opportunity to become the chair of their SDC 300, which enabled me to better communicate with all the various projects that were happening and so that I could make sure multifamily stayed in sync with what they were doing. Tell me a little bit about, uh, for our audience here, listeners, a little bit about Stephen Winter Associates. Sure. We're a building science firm. We've been around for well over 40 years. I'm working in the Norwalk, Connecticut office. We also have a New York City office and Washington, D.C. We do all things related to sustainability and accessibility. My prime focus is energy efficiency and residential multifamily, but we have groups that 
focus on schools or indoor air quality. We have a group dedicated to doing research. We do a lot of things. Most folks here are architects or engineers, but everyone here is definitely passionate like I am about just saving energy and improving the built environment. Can you make uh, mention any other notable projects uh, beyond the first Energy Star certified high rise? Actually, why don't we focus on that a little bit? That's really relevant to the discussion here. How much of that project do you think shaped these standards? Well, that specific project participated in a multifamily high-rise program, which developed because the ResNet standards were not available for high-rise buildings. So EPA recognized a long time ago that the ResNet standards stopped at three stories. They tried to extend it up to four and five stories, but then there was this whole market of multifamily high-rise buildings, six stories and up, that were just being ignored. So I would say that program was developed because we couldn't change the ResNet standards until we finally decided we can change the ResNet standards. (laughs) And so that's when it began. And the whole goal at the end of this, EPA is interested, other programs are interested in this. It'll just provide a more streamlined approach to energy ratings and multifamily. I mean, an energy rating in a three-story building, an apartment in a three-story building, is that much different than if it was in a four or five or six-story building? This is going to enable utility programs that offer incentives to offer a more streamlined incentive program because they won't have to juggle two different programs, which is what we see right now. The Energy Star Multifamily Highways Program is so different from the one that is based on energy ratings because they had no other choice. But now if this standard goes through and you can start doing energy ratings on apartments and 30-story buildings, that opens up a new world of possibility and program alignment. So... I think that's kind of where it started out of necessity because we didn't think we could change the standard. But now that we can, it's going to offer a lot more streamlined options. And there's a ton of practical advice that's coming out because of your experience and the other team members' experience on the project, the other committee members. You want to give us an idea of the makeup of the standard, the working groups and the committees? You can even name by name if you like, or just in general, the companies they work for or the associations or organizations. I would absolutely love to do that because it's not just me by myself. The working group, the multifamily subcommittee, all the SEC 300 subcommittees, these are all volunteers and they work so hard. If I go back to the original multifamily working group, some of their associations might have changed, but certainly Ben Adams from McGran, a lot of different people from Tex Energy, including James Brower, more recently Joel Williams, Troy Maharg, Paul Gay. We have our software developers from Noresco to Ecotrope to FSEC. So that's Brian Christensen, Rob Salcedo, Philip Ferry. Program partners like Krista Egger from Enterprise and Asa Foss from USGBC. Also Pat Fitzgerald from NYSERDA. A lot of folks were on that multifamily group. And then a lot of them also stayed on to the multifamily subcommittee. So I know Matt Root was great on our testing subgroup as well as Bruce Harley. Teal Butner has stayed on past the working group to the actual SEC 300. She's become a chair of our enclosure subcommittee. So there are just so many people that have worked so hard to take this from 2013 all the way to now. That sounds like the check-in list for rooms at the next ResNet conference. (laughs) (laughs) They work hard. And I mean, that's not even everyone. So I mean, the SEC 300 also, like I said, we were running our own parallel track for multifamily. And I joined in with them and just kept 
everything moving and all the volunteers there, like you already knew, I, Ian Walker, who oversees their equipment subcommittee, which is handling ANSI 380. He's got a subcommittee that has been great, as well as the calculation subcommittee, which is really tasked with most of the heavy lifting on 301 and could not do that without their chair, which is Dave Roberts. And again, all the software developers are on that as well. So going back to you described how 301 and 308 came about, they were basically formalizing chap not formalizing because it was formally, but the MinHERS standard. So you, you've taken chapters out of that. Do you know if that's a process that will continue or what will happen to MinHERS? And by the way, that acronym, that stands for Mortgage Industry National Home Energy Rating Systems? Correct. I'm not as familiar. I mean, there's a lot of different SDCs that report to ResNet. They've got a 200 and a 900. So they've got a few committees. So I don't oversee MinHERS, but I do know there's probably a parallel track happening, at least with the sampling standard. So chapter six is sampling. And when we sought out the multifamily standard, we thought we need to do something about sampling. And as we went on, realized that might actually need to be its own standard. So I think something similar will happen with chapter six. The other chapters, I mean, ResNet will still need their own standard, very similar to how any other entity adopts a standard like ICC. ICC is a code. They adopt certain standards for the way they want you to do something, whether it's a blower door test or calculating an energy rating index. Same like ResNet. ResNet is just choosing. They've moved those technical chapters out, but now they adopt them. And so they have the leeway within MinHERS to adopt them in a certain way. And so I think they will always have other chapters for quality assurance and accreditation and things like that. I don't expect that those would go away. And how about implementation? Is there a phase-in schedule at what point that it will only be valid to use the ANSI standards? So basically, when the ResNet standards, so inside of Chapter 3 and Chapter 8, right, there's not a lot of technical content. They just say, do this in accordance with those two ANSI standards. As soon as these 2019 versions get published, hopefully sometime in early 2019, ResNet will take the next step, which is to adopt those. And usually when they adopt them, they do provide some kind of transition period. I won't commit ResNet to any of this, but I would expect the earliest they could even adopt either of those two would be sometime before summer of 2019. And if that's the case, usually a transition period of six months is allowed before you have to use it. So maybe people would be required to use it as early as January 2020 or maybe July 2020. But I feel like based on the improvements to the standards and the expanded scope of the standard, we might see that people don't wait till the end of the transition period and actually opt in and start using it as soon as it's available and as soon as the software developers make it available inside the software. Right, since they rolled in the 301. Correct. What other things keep you busy? You're not just a standards person. These days, I feel like that is all I am. (laughs) (laughs) It is a lot of work to get this rolled out by 2019. So I would say I do spend a fair bit of time working with the subcommittees. There's a lot of moving pieces. This is something they haven't had to tackle before. So I would say I spend a lot of time on this. When I'm not working on this particular project, I spend most of the rest of my time working with Energy Star and their new multifamily program. So like I mentioned before, they had a high-rise program because ResNet didn't cover high-rise. And so kind of the reason to change their multifamily program is knowing that the standard is just around the corner. And so for the past year or so, I guess the rest of my time has been spent supporting Energy Star and making changes to their program. 
so that when the standard's available, they will also have a multifamily program that can take advantage of it. And you'll have new options where you can do an Energy Star rating on an apartment in a 30-story building. You could do the old approach, which is to do an ASHRAE 90.1 energy model of the whole building. Or you can do a prescriptive path approach and just do prescriptive measures and no modeling. So we've been working on that. I would say that's the other half of my time. How about outside of work? <laughs> Are you a 24-hour on-person? Oh, 24-7. Yes. I am the mother of two kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So basically, I do feel like I wake up and it's the time with my kids, get them to school, get on a train, working on the train, get here, work all day, and head back. So it does seem a bit intense, but it's good. It's all good. Good. So going back to the standard, how are commercial buildings handled? Is there any kind of sort of dissection of them, like institutional, commercial for rent, hotels, motels? What is covered? Because some of those buildings have fairly different use cases and characteristics that might get fairly complicated. We certainly don't want to get into hotels and motels, but we did decide that we want sleeping units to be permitted. So sometimes you'll see a building that's residential in nature, but maybe the apartment doesn't have a full kitchen or a full bathroom, like in a dormitory or assisted living situation. So those types of buildings are going to be part of the scope of 301. But yes, certainly not trying to veer off into any kind of commercial property that is not a residential use occupancy. So no offices, nothing like that. It's really just going to stay. The only real expansion is saying that maybe the dwelling unit is just a sleeping unit, doesn't have a full kitchen, full bathroom. Because the rating follows the apartment itself, it's okay if the building might have some commercial occupancies in it because we're not rating the entire building. We're just rating the apartment that happens to be in that building. Where does this information, where is it stored? Is it just shared with the building owner? Does it get listed anywhere? Is it accessible, the actual rating? Sure. That information won't change. We have not changed the procedures of how the energy rating, the certificate, all that stuff that happens right now. So if a rater is providing that information to the builder, that section of the standard was not changed. So they still provide it in the same fashion as they do now they upload it to the registry as they do now. Wow. If it goes to sleeping units, that could be a lot of detail in the registry. It must be a fairly complicated process too. With respect to the registry? Yeah. Uh, with all the details of individual sleeping units, I think that could be fairly complicated. The way we're handling sleeping units, we actually have not changed any of the technical requirements associated with them. So basically, it's just permission to assume they behave like a dwelling unit. So they can get uploaded just like a dwelling unit gets uploaded right now. So ResNet could choose to modify their registry to kind of pull out those pieces to look for a dwelling unit versus a sleeping unit if they needed to. But as of right now, it won't be too much complication in terms of on the rating side because it's just being treated the same as a normal dwelling unit. I'm actually looking at some of the slides from your presentation that was a very thorough presentation, by the way, that was given at the last ResNet conference, I believe, uh, about the, how the standards are evolving. And I'm looking at something here called the index adjustment factor. Can you describe what that is? Sure. That actually predates my time in the committee, but that's basically, there was a bias between large units and small units. You could get a HERS index for a large unit or a small unit that was very, very different 
just because even if it had the same exact measure, same everything, furnace, water heater, everything was exactly the same. But because of the size of the unit, it was getting a very different HERS index. And so the calculation subcommittee and other members did a lot of work to develop a change to the standard so that you could kind of remove that bias so that a large home or a small home with very similar energy efficient features should get a similar HERS index. So that was actually a addendum to ANSI resident ICC 301. And so anything that's similar to that, all those addendum that came before my time, just automatically get introduced into the 2019 standards. So there's a couple like that. LED lighting was another one that people really wanted and was approved. So in addition to all these multifamily changes, anything that's happened over the past couple years, there's maybe eight or nine different addendum a handful of interpretations when people have questions about how the standard is addressing something. If it's not entirely clear, they submit interpretation requests. All those got rolled into the 2019 update in addition to all the multifamily stuff. So yeah, something like that actually had a great impact on multifamily. That used to be one of the biggest problems with multifamily units is that they really struggled if a code or a program required a HERS index of 70 or some kind of fixed HERS index. It was easier for larger homes, single family homes to reach that HERS index than it was for a small apartment, even with the same features. So our multifamily subcommittee sought out to solve that problem. And then when the index adjustment factor came around, realized that actually solved the problem. So that was actually an unintended consequence, which was great. The whole process of evaluating a multifamily building, I'm sure we've added a lot of clarity to the standard and just thinking through this, or a single dwelling or single family home residence building, you don't have to do a lot with the shared aspects of walls, ventilation, airflow, heating. That's got to be a hugely complex undertaking in order to decide what's being shared, what's not being shared, the percentages, things like that. Is it just your experience of the committee that brings some relevance and clarity to the standard? It's experience, it's research, and we might not always get it right. That's the point. This is a consensus-based standard. An addendum could show up next year as soon as better research, better test procedures, anything better comes along, or somebody proposes something different, and we say, that actually does this better. So as of right now, we go in with proposals, and if there's enough support for it, that's what happens. And we try and back it up with research and checking the numbers by running some energy models or base it on field research and other studies. So definitely one, which is a good example of this, is blower door tests. So up until now, you would do a blower door test on a single family home, and it's safe to assume whatever air was leaking into the house was from the outside, unconditioned air that should represent some kind of energy penalty. And it does. And so when folks were trying to do the blower door test on an apartment, you're running your blower door and let's say you get a thousand CFM, you don't know where that's coming from. It could be from the outside. It could be from your neighbor. It could be from the corridor, the garage downstairs, an elevator shaft. It could be from anywhere. So there was a lot of questions about what is the best way to figure out how much of this is from the outside since we said you can't do guarded tests and you can't do whole building tests, which would be a way to measure the portion of it that comes from outside. We looked to another standard and some other research, but ASHRAE 62.2 has a way to award an infiltration credit. And so they have a procedure, which is basically where you look at the apartment and just based on a simple geometric ratio, what is the percentage of the area that's actually exposed to the outdoors? And if you had 25% 
of your surface area of your entire apartment is exposed to the outdoors and the other 75% is exposed to like other apartments or other conditioned space, well, 25% of your blower door test results, we'll say that's from the outdoors. I mean, it's simple, but it's founded in a different standard, ASHRAE 62.2, and we actually limit it to apartments that are fairly tight. So that means the apartments tend to have to be about less than six or seven ACH at 50 pascals before they can qualify for that approach. Otherwise, they still have to model all of it as coming from the outside. So there were complicated things like that. How do we address this? The other one is duct leakage tests. A lot of people are trying to do duct leakage outside tests. And you can't see me, but I'm putting outside in quotes because in multifamily, (laughs) what's to the outside? When you actually do that test in an apartment, you don't know if that 50 CFM of duct leakage is actually all the way to the outside of the building or if it's just outside the apartment and just leaking to another conditioned space. So we did develop some approaches, some alternative pathways to do that test, but still allowing for the duct leakage outside test to be conducted. Just want people to know that outside in that situation might not mean truly all the way to the outdoors. So you used a couple of terms here, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners know, but I'd like you to define them. You mentioned you can't do a guarded test or a whole building test. Give us a description of the guarded test, please. Guarded tests. So if you're doing a blower door test, you're running your single blower door. If you're in an apartment, you're just running your single blower door fan probably in the entryway of the apartment. And that's drawing air through all the surfaces of the apartment, the floor, ceilings, and the walls. To do a guarded test, when you're trying to isolate what's just coming from the outdoors, you have to also change the pressure in all the adjoining spaces. So the apartment to the left, the right, the apartment upstairs, the apartment below. And so that can enable you to better isolate what's coming through the exterior surface, that one wall that you haven't changed the pressure. But it's extremely hard to, you might need nine different blower doors in nine different adjacent spaces in order to accomplish that. And then you get a value to the outdoor. So most raters find that test to be expensive and time consuming to conduct. And so the point was, can we give them a test that requires just the one blower door? And are the results similar enough to having run nine blower doors just to get the same results? That's where the research comes in. That's where the research comes. And the research is ongoing. There's definitely research happening right now with the Department of Energy trying to figure out, is there another way to come up with this number? So again, the standards are constantly evolving. We have one approach right now. If another approach comes back that is cost-effective and yields similar results, then that'll get proposed and we'll get public comment on that one. But for now, this is an approach that we think will enable a rater with their existing equipment to do one blower door test, get a result, and have a way to identify or estimate at least how much of it comes from the outside instead of handling a penalty for all of it coming from the outside, which is what happens right now. Where can listeners find out more about the standard? I know there's a page on the ResNet site for that, which I could put in the show notes. you have any other alternative options where they could get information? Sure. I mean, the best place is, as you mentioned, it's on the ResNet website. So if they went to that link to the ResNet standards, you can download the various copies of it that have gone through public comments so far. You'll be able to access the most recent version of it. If they're attending the ResNet conference in February in New Orleans, there'll be another presentation about all the changes because at that point, it'll be a finalized publication and it won't be, this is what we think will happen. It will actually be what is in it. 
And same for 380. They'll be able to find the final document for that online as well as attend a presentation on that in February. I'm just looking here to see a nice new layout here of the page. So I encourage the listeners to go to resnet.us slash professional. And that's where you're going to find the details on the standards, the conference, as you mentioned, energy code information. There's just a lot of good things there, including a link to this podcast, which is sort of like recursive here if you, <laughs> you go there because you came from here. And would you like to provide uh, contact information if someone wanted to reach out to you to learn a little bit more, or perhaps contact you about some project that maybe Stephen Winter could be involved with? Yeah. If you'd like to contact me with questions, my email address will be in the show notes. Fantastic. We covered a lot of ground today. Are there any in particular points that you'd like to cover that we might have missed? I think the overarching goal, not only to improve the standard, but to improve it in time for it to get adopted into the next cycle of the IECC. The 2018 IECC is the first one where the standard, the ANSI 301 standard was referenced. And we've been moving as fast as we can because we'd like to propose it for the 2021 IECC, this new one, this 2019 version. So I think we had not mentioned that. And I'm not sure how many raters are using the energy rating compliance path within the IECC for code compliance for your projects. But previous code cycles didn't even have a standard to reference when you were calculating those. And then the 2018 IECC, which some states have not yet adopted yet, but when it comes time to, it references the old standard 301. So we're trying to get ahead of it. That way, by the time all the states catch up to the 2021 IECC, they'll have this new standard, which has changed a lot for multifamily. That's the next step in the process is to get this adopted into that code cycle. Fantastic. It's a lot of hard work and I'm sure you feel a measure of pride in getting something out that's going to have so much impact for so long and staying involved too. You share with me a little note here that you love solar. Tell me about your love of solar. I do love solar. I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin, because they have the oldest solar energy lab in the country. And that's where I did my master's degree, which is technically in mechanical engineering, but that's just because that's where the solar lab lives in Wisconsin. My thesis advisors are the guys that wrote the book on solar engineering that most people probably see if they take a class on solar in whatever university you're at. So it was a great opportunity to meet them and be part of that world. I just feel very strongly about using renewable energy. If I see a wind farm when I pass it, it gives me goosebumps. I just, I think they're majestic and beautiful. And I think there's so many renewable energy options out there and we kind of owe it to our kids and the next generations to do what we can to stop using the fossil fuels and start using renewable on my house. I do have a little over seven kilowatts of solar and I live in Connecticut which is not probably the most sunshine state, no. <laughs> but it has enough electricity that it provides 100% of my electricity. Granted, I use gas for my furnace. I've got a condensing high-efficiency gas furnace and tankless water heater. So I do still use gas, but those panels provide all of my electricity and it just it feels good. It really feels good that there's no fossil fuels being burned to produce that electricity. Any stories of projects that you worked on in grad school? Anything in particular in field work or was it mostly in the lab or? Oh my goodness. My thesis is the most boring, <laughs> <laughs> most boring data analysis ever. It was really boring. It was TMY2 data, just researching the heck out of it. Boring. That's all I can say. But it was in the solar lab. So at least that was good. What is TMY2? 
oh, sorry, that's typical meteorological year data. It's the data that is used actually in the software engines. It tells you what the typical weather outside is, right? When you do your energy rating index, was it 70 degrees outside? Was it 75? What was the weather like outside? Because that impacts how much energy you need to keep your house at a certain temperature. So they have 30-year averages and they have to update that data set as often as they can so that it's relatively accurate. The weather changes. So when I was doing this back in 2004, they were basing their 30-year averages. The data went back from to like 1960 and weather has changed significantly since then. So getting access to the more current data sets, so that's TMY3, is useful for calculating how much energy our homes and buildings use using weather that's more reflective of the recent weather history that's happening. A lot of places are experiencing a lot of hotter temperatures and colder winters, so it changes how much energy we use. Absolutely. It's a very important reference and resource. Is it maintained by the government or how is it a collaboration? That is a fantastic question that I don't know the answer to. All right. So listeners, here you go. There's a question for you to figure out. Well, thank you very much, guys, for coming on today and explaining some of the changes in the standards, a little bit about your background, and hopefully get some people interested, or at least close some gaps of knowledge and information for people, and maybe get some people interested. Are you going to come to the conference? Will you be there in February? Yes, I will definitely be there. I've been presenting a very similar topic for the past couple of years. I'll be there presenting it again. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you for coming on the podcast today on ResTalk. We really appreciate your input to the industry and thank you for your efforts. And if anyone would like to reach out and contact I3, there'll be some contact info in the show notes. Thanks for the opportunity to speak about this. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. We hope you learned a few things from Guy3 about the standards involved with energy rating of multifamily buildings. There's a lot of good details in the show notes, so take a look at that. We also want to make sure you're aware of the Building Industry Conference for Energy Rating, the ResNet Conference. It'll be held in New Orleans. That'll be on February 25th through 27th, 2019. For more info about that, please go to conference.resnet.us. If you're interested in feeding back to Resnet on what you heard here, would you like to hear a new topic covered or just have a general question, please send an email to info at resnet, R-E-S-N-E-T, dot U-S. If you're not subscribed, please do so. And always, we want to thank you for listening to ResTalk. Let's close with a quote for the day. And this is involved with some of the thoughts that Guy3 was mentioning about collaboration working in a teamwork. This is a quote from Helen Keller. Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Hoping you have a great day, and thank you for listening to ResTalk. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on Res Talk. <laughs>